Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 197. And uh, today we're talking to Rodney Reeves, who wrote a great book called Spirituality According to John, Abiding in Christ in the Johannine Writings. Uh, Rodney is a pastor of a Baptist church. He graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological University. And I think it's safe to say we probably land on different places uh, on the theological, on the grand theological spectrum. But none of that mattered in this episode because we had a beautiful conversation about faith and God and Jesus and mysticism, uh, abiding in Christ, living according to the way of Jesus. We talked about deconstruction. We touched on a lot of things in a short period of time, and I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I learned a lot. Uh, Rodney's book is very good, uh, so I highly recommend heading over to Amazon and uh, picking it up. And while you're there, pick up my book. It's called Rethinking Everything About My Spiritual Journey from Black and White Thinking to a World of Color. Uh, Just search Glenn Siepert book, and it it will pop up there for your perusal. Uh, Also, it will be coming on Kindle very soon. It's not available yet. One of our podcast listeners, his name is James. Uh, Shout out to James. Uh, He is actually working on the file, the Kindle file for us as we speak. So if you're holding out on purchasing the book, you're waiting for that Kindle, that glowing digital copy of the book, uh, have no fear. It is on its way. James is hard at work. Uh, He's good at what he does, and he's working on that for us. So again, thank you, James. Thank you for those who have purchased the book. Thank you for those who have bought multiple copies of the book and have passed it around to your friends and your family. I hope it hasn't gotten you into too much trouble, uh, but I appreciate your support and uh, your encouragement. So I'll put the link to my book, Rodney's book, in the show notes. Also, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially, if you'd like to give to this project, if it has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, those are two places where you can go to do just that. The Heretic Shop, want to buy some t-shirts, hoodies, uh, different stuff like that. I'll put that link in the show notes. But all that to say, let's cut it short. Let's cut the intro short today in just under three minutes. This is episode number 197. It's my conversation with the one and the only Pastor Rodney Reeves. Enjoy. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot and so go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sandbox beat, I'ma check. Wishing for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much with high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. 
Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we're sitting down with my friend Rodney Reeves, who's a pastor and professor and uh, the author of a brand new book called Spirituality According to John. And so, Rodney, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have some time with you. Well, thanks, Quinn, for having me. Thank you. So before we get too far into the uh, conversation, I thought maybe we could start off by hearing a little bit about you. You know, who are you? A little bit about your background, uh, what you do, where you hail from, uh, all those, those different kinds of things. Sure. I was born and raised in Southern California mm-hmm. and uh, Long Beach area. Born actually in La Jolla, raised in Long Beach. My parents moved to Springfield, Missouri um, back in the late 60s. Um, so I went to junior high and high school in Springfield. My mom's family's from Bolivar, Missouri, although she was born and raised and grew up there. So I went to college at uh, Little Baptist School there in, in Missouri, where I eventually taught. But after uh, uh, I graduated from college, went to seminary, Southwestern, uh, spent a year of my doctoral study at Oxford University, finished the PhD from Southwestern, um, and then was looking for a teaching job. Uh, God called me to preach the gospel when I was 16. Uh, but when I was in college and seminary, I really began to feel like maybe an academic path for that calling. Sure. And he rewarded me with that. I mean, I, I taught, I taught at several places adjunctively, but got my full first full-time teaching job at a little Baptist college in Arkansas up the road here, Williams Baptist taught there for a little while. And then pastored, I it did interim pastoring work in, in all over Arkansas Mm-hmm. And eventually that led to a full-time pastorate. I was pastor of Central Baptist here in Jonesboro for about five years. But my secret ambition was always to go back to my alma mater and teach. So I went back there in 2000 and I taught at SBU, Southwest Baptist University. I was there for 19 years, served as a dean of the College of Theology and Ministry for about 16 of those years. And then um, two factors. One, things began to, the university began to go direction that I began to realize and many since then has uh, I, I didn't want to teach there. Plus it was about five years ago, seven years ago, this church first Baptist asked me to come and be an interim here. And I did that for a while between pastors. And then when I went back home, I ever since then, I thought, Oh, I think I want to pastor again. And lo and behold, <laughs> about the time I'm ready to leave SBU, um, this church is uh, looking for a pastor. So mm. The Lord brought us here, and I've been here for over two years. I love being a pastor. Um, it's my first calling is to preach the gospel. Yeah. But I also love how scholarship has helped me be a better, I think, hopefully be a better reader of Scripture, and therefore to live what I read. That's awesome. I was going to ask you, with your experience in the, in the academic world, in the classroom, and then your experience as a pastor, do you feel like the, the academic side has, has helped you be a better pastor, I guess, has it helped you? Yeah. What ways, like, it what would you, yeah. What ways like specifically would you say the academic side has helped you be better? We have a lot of pastors to listen to the show. And so I'm curious as to maybe like what, what aspect of academics, maybe what, what in particular has helped you be a better pastor? So when I went to college, the, the thing that just struck me, I grew up in a fundamentalist Southern Baptist church, and, and I appreciate the grounding I received and the importance of God's word. So I go to college, and my professors start opening up the literary world of the Bible. 
it was no longer just a magical book filled with incantations you memorize, right? <laughs> These are real flesh and blood people, sure. real flesh and blood people. I mean, even Jesus began to have a face. His Jewishness became, it's like the more human he became for me, the more divine he became for me. Yeah. And the story of Israel becomes really important. And now the scriptures are, I think, revealing the, the human condition, right? Yeah, yeah. Most, most clearly. And yeah. so the more human the Bible is, the more divine it became to me. So reading it in its historical context and the literary genre of the Bible just got me excited. All mm. of a sudden, the scriptures came alive for me. Yeah. I, when I was called to preach, I thought preaching was preaching was this. I got an idea of what I want to say. Now go find a verse that supports it. Right. <laughs> now, what academics did for me, it reversed that polarity. Now yeah. I read the scriptures and it informs me of what who I'm supposed to be. First, it, it, it's reflective, right? It shows me who I'm supposed to be. The scriptures do is the word yeah. of God. Then also that's where my sermons come from. Yeah. And so I saw how academics sharpened my understanding and focus and to read the scriptures with integrity. I love that. I love that. And I know some people see critical scholarship uh -huh. as somehow tearing down their faith. And I understand that, but for me, it didn't, it, it, uh, it sharpened my faith, sharpened my focus, sharpened my understanding, and therefore held me accountable to read the scriptures with integrity. That is, I want my doctrine to come from the Bible. Yeah. I don't want I don't want my doctrine to you know force the force the Bible to conform to my doctrine. So I'm yeah. constantly working on my faith. I'm constantly working on my doctrine as I try to read the scriptures in community with you know all these people that come from all different faith traditions. Yeah. They're simply after the same thing. Yeah. We want to live a life of flourishing because God created us. Mm -hmm. And those of us who are Christians believe that Jesus is the one who makes that happen. That's so good. I, you know, that's one of the benefits, really the real blessings of this podcast has been to be able to talk to so many different people from so many different perspectives and walks of life and to really to really get some like scholarship and stuff that I didn't really feel like I got when I was in, when I was in school. I mean, I've talked to, we have you on the podcast today. I've talked to people like Bart Ehrman. I've talked to people like NT, Wright. I've talked to people like all over the spectrum and they all bring like a different angle to things. And I'm like, Oh, like I never knew this. I never even thought of that before. And like you said, like sometimes critical scholarship, people assume it's just tearing down your faith. But for me, it's like you, it's been the opposite. It's really helped me become, I think, I hope <laughs> a more faithful uh, follower of Christ. I think what it does, the second thing scholarship does is it, there should be an embedded humility mm. to our claims. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. No matter what scholarly position you hold, right. I mean, you can hear some rigorous arguments that counter that. And that, that has helped me try to be, I can be certain about what I believe, mm -hmm. but I want to be humble enough to say, Lord, spirit of God, teach me. Yep. where I'm wrong, not only right. in what I understand, but how I live. Mm -hmm. So scholarship is a humbling thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that's the second thing that, that academics have done for me. That's really I think good. it's easier to be arrogant if you're ignorant. I'll yes. Like that. Very, oh, that's good. <laughs> that's quotable right there. That might turn into a tweet. I like that. So your book, uh, Spirituality According to, to John, maybe give us the uh, bird's eye view of this book for our readers you know who's the intended audience maybe a quick elevator pitch as to what it's about 
So I wrote this. It's kind of a follow-up volume. I wrote a book, Spirituality According to Paul, that came out 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that book in response to college classroom uh, where we're, me and a couple of buddies of mine, we wrote a book, Rediscovering Paul, where we deal with all the scholarly issues, historical context, all of that. And er invariably, when we would be working through one of Paul's letters, and students would raise their hand and go, so what? All right. So, so he says this and they said that. And so what about us? Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted so badly to answer the, so what question, but we just didn't have time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wrote spirituality according to Paul for that, mm -hmm. because in my own life, as important as theology is, mm -hmm. I've been more interested in the spirituality of the biblical writers. In other words, to put it like this, if Paul's letters have, and I'm going to get to John in a minute, but if Paul's letters are theology and ethics, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, the theology part is always interesting to me, but it's the ethics part, the latter part, the so what factor that I was especially intrigued by. Yeah. What is Paul's spirituality? So that book was scratching it for me and also for some readers, obviously. Mm -hmm. So so John's spirituality came because the editor IVP said, have you thought about doing something else? I'm not another part of the New Testament. And I've always John's work has been kind of sandbox for me. I've worked in it a little bit, but not near as much as Paul. But I've loved what I've learned from Johannine scholars. And so I took a stab at it and said, well, and I gave him a proposal and said, well, what if I looked at John's spirituality? And this is what I'm really talking about. How John's work affects us spiritually. Yeah. How, how a spiritual formation is informed by him, what he's done. And I'm talking about canonical John, you know, yeah. the books that are attributed to him. So I thought, okay, well, what about looking at John's spirituality? Why would he write a gospel like this? And wh what is its spiritual effect on a reader? Then why would he turn right around and write letters? No other biblical writer's done this. Right. Like the gospel's not enough, so let me shoot, shoot some letters at you, because Paul didn't write a gospel. Matthew didn't write letters. What's going on here? And then, and now for something completely different, <laughs> you Monty Python fans, you know, Revelation of John. Oh my goodness, what is this? Right. And I've spent some time teaching in all this literature. Hmm. So that's where the book comes from. And I'm really trying to get at the spiritual effect, the spiritual formative influence of a gospel written hmm. like John, of letters. And then the revelation. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And uh, I would love to talk about all of the different aspects of the book. But I feel like we could get definitely get lost if you went into Revelation and even John's letters. So I really want to pick your brain a little bit about um, the gospel of John today and kind of focus our conversation around that. And I think a good place maybe for us to start is kind of toss out the question to you is what what is the, the context of, of John's gospel? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like, like John's gospel is the most uh, different of the four gospels. Like clearly it is. John's agenda is much different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all have their own different agendas, obviously. But John, like even has Jesus saying like a lot of things that he doesn't say in the other right. gospels. It's just a very like radically different book. So for the nerds out there, like myself, uh, maybe put this book, into context for a little bit. Like, what do we know about the author? If much at all, what is the purpose of this book, the original audience, th those kind of things? Yeah. And those questions I don't get into. And, and I try to take a, what could be called an audience criticism or a reader's response approach. Yeah. So I don't try to use historical, the historical readers that might've been informed by John, mm -hmm. but before, so I, I, we could get into that. 
but I, I want to take the literature as it comes to us. Okay. Sometimes I think if we if we take the literature and weave out of it in historical context, kind of like we do with Paul's letters, mm-hmm. and then turn right around and read those letters in light of this synthetic, right, mm-hmm. somewhat contrived historical co- context, we end up seeing things mirror beating. So what I wanted to do is just say, let those things can matter and it can be important, but I wanted just to take John's gospel as it is and see what it does to us. Mm. Why the literary effect is so powerful for spirituality. So let me give you an anecdote and mm. I'll circle back and try to answer. Sure. Those good sure, sure. Dan Reed, who was the, he was the senior academic editor of IVP who uh, started this project, but then he retired. Uh, it was great help to me and in my in my writing he sent me an anecdote which i find really fascinating he's reading some biography i wish i could recall who it is it's a biography of a missionary his parents were missionaries by the way mm-hmm. and this missionary uh discovered there was a certain place where certain christians in a certain area these are first generation christians were told to memorize ephesians and another group they wanted to memorize john and this missionary noticed that the, the, this is really fascinating to me, the social effect or the spiritual effect, these Christians who memorized Ephesians became Calvinists. Mm. And those who memorized John's gospel became mystics. <laughs> that's interesting. Isn't it? Calvinists from anecdote, Ephesians. Yeah, I would have never guessed that. That's huh? right. That yeah. anecdote captures what I'm, what I'm all about. Yeah. So, w- what is John doing? Why is he doing it the way he does it? And what's yeah. the effect on the reader? Yeah. So here's hmm. what I think John's doing. I think he wants to tell the gospel story of Jesus so that we can have an imagination that's fired by his understanding of how Jesus is the word of God and how he abides in us and we abide in him. Hmm. Yeah. It, so his gospel requires us to imagine because if you take it as it is, uh, let me put it in negative terms. John's gospel doesn't require much of disciples. In in the synoptics, you, Jesus is laying it all out there. You got to lose your life. You got to pick up a cross. You got to die. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff he's requiring at the front end. And right. John's gospel, all it takes to be a disciple of Jesus is to abide with him. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And he explains more definitively, well, it means love one another. And, but for the most part, it's stay with him. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's a really, to reduce it to that, to stay with me. Yeah. So how do we do that? Mm. Right. How do I do that? How yeah. do I stay with him when he's a man who lived 2000 years ago, a man who we believe is more than a man, but the son of God. How? So John's gospel, I think, is putting out before us. All right. This is what it means. Mm-hmm to abide in Christ as the word of God, how his word abides in us and how we abide in that word. And I see in John's gospel, a track, like any word, you have to hear it first. Then the word is confessed. Then the word is incarnated. And for John, the goal is to abide. And for John, these different characters reveal the different stages of the spirituality and it's not something you once you get there, you don't stop. You're constantly hearing the word. You're constantly confessing. You're constantly incarnating. You're constantly abiding because abiding, the goal is his word so abides in us that others come to Jesus. Yeah. We remain steadfast, hmm. faithful. So I 
think that the literary effect of John's gospel, it, there's a mirror quality <clears throat> where we can't help identify with the characters that show us what this looks like. Yeah. That's why you have extended conversations between Jesus and these characters. That's why John centered on individuals. In, in Matthew's gospel, he goes to a mountain and calls people to, you know, he preaches to the masses, not a John. Mm. Scholars have noticed he does one-on-one. And so each of these characters reveal, I think, the full-orbed imaginative spirituality of John when mm. we learn how to, uh, to stay with him yeah. and for his word to stay with us. Mm. So that his word ends up creating, you might say, a sanctuary, a shelter in which we abide, mm. right? And then, therefore, we persist, stay, remain, because that word also means abide also means to stay with it mm-hmm. uh, to him to the end of the time to the end of the world so that's why i think yeah. the letters are so important and the revelation is so important for john's yeah. full spirituality mm. that's really good and i think you know even like as just reading john always came across to me as a very like a very action-packed book in the sense of like you said there's it requires action on our part it requires action for me to do to do something. And you're going to be much more versed in this than I am, but I was talking to uh, somebody in the podcast, Doug Paget. I don't know if you ever heard of him a while back. He was on the podcast. Yeah. He wrote a book um, really about the gospel of John. And he was looking at the different miracles in John's gospel. And he made a comment where he said that the majority of the time in John where the word believe is used, which is a whole lot of times he uses the word believe it's the verb of the Greek word. It's not so much the noun and that the verb requires us to do something. It requires action on our part. And so when we read, you know, Jesus saying that whoever believes in me, he's not required so much as of a head knowledge, as much as it is to actually go and to do something to, to go out into the world and do something to abide in him, to stay in him, to do all these things. I think that you really brought that to light. So that just really sparked something in my mind when you were talking. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So being and doing for John are, are indistinguishable. Yeah. You can't be without do. Right. You can't do without being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So Jesus even says in John 6, do the work of God. Yeah. And the people go after they saw the miracle, you know, what is the work of God? Believe in me. And there it is. Right. Believing, working. It's it's tied. Signs are things that Jesus does, mm. but they point to who he is. Mm. So we want to separate being and doing. But for John, they can't exist without one without the other because the word became flesh and dwelt so this idea again of incarnation that we get from john john is the one who gave us the language incarnate enfleshment embodiment yeah he can't conceive of truth or ideas even logos really means idea or thoughts or beliefs without flesh Yeah. yeah and enfleshment means we we embody what we believe and we do what we believe. We, mm. So I, I emphasize John believes that we should live what we read. But that's really something that really you know struck me is that like when I was in seminary, because I went to, um, I got a master's degree, I got my D-man. And one of the things I always felt like I kind of got in seminary, but wish I would have gotten a little bit more was that embodiment of my belief, my, that embodiment of this truth that I was I was consuming because I always felt like even in church growing up, like it was so much emphasis was placed on doctrine and theology and believing the right things and doing this stuff. But, and I saw that really magnified when, uh, when I went to, I became a pastor at a reformed church 
I was there for like three years. And I remember I sat down uh, the night that they'd accepted my, you know, passed all the interviews and all the things. And so they put me in front of this board of people to ask me now these questions about theology and doctrine. And like, it was literally like two hours of questions about what do I believe about this? What do I believe about that? What am I going to teach you about this? I remember going home and talking to my, my wife who was my fiance at the time. And I said, like, they didn't ask me one question about like my life, you know, like about what these teachings have done to me, you know, like didn't ask me the questions about, you know, um, you know, you're going to teach this about, you know, the Bible, but what has the Bible done for your life or anything like that? There was no questions about my personal life. And that, that like that dividing line was just so, it was so loud to me in my brain. I was like that this, this can't be right. There's gotta be more to it than this. And I thought to myself, I don't want to teach the Bible like that. I don't want to teach the Bible. as just this book of rules and this book of different things. I wanted to, I want to teach it. So it, it affects and impacts the way that people live their lives. Yeah. Well, wow. You just put a lot on the table right there. We I did respond to that. All of that. Come mean, on, Rodney. <laughs> yeah. So doctrine is good. It's right. good. It helps us sort out what we believe. Sure. But theology by itself, stripped of any, any embodiment mm. is, is a Gnostic approach mm. that all that matters is knowledge. And mm. Gnosticism was the first Christian heresy. So you know, the thing John wants us to hear loud and clear is that word only makes sense in flesh. Mm. Theology only matters embodied. Mm. Yeah. It's, always, it's irrelevant without an embodiment. Yeah. The church is irrelevant without mm. people living out their faith, right? I mean, yeah. are we, if it's not, we're, done, we're nothing more than a book club. And I can go to any kind of book club there is. And we can talk about ideas, mm. but what people are hungry for that was true in Jesus' day that he knew he was launching, what Paul was trying to do, what John's trying to do is a community of people who live what we believe. Because mm. it's yeah. easy to say what I believe. Sure. The challenge is when the word becomes flesh. That's right. That's right. And I'm this like you. I mean, I, I, I can, you know, I can get in there and, you know, get involved in these doctoral scrums and have a great time. But <laughs> with time, with age, I became disenchanted with that. Yeah. And I became more interested in, well, it's the people who may not be able to argue doctrine very well, but I see obviously Christ in them. Hmm. It's the churches that live out the faith. Yeah. Don't just post commandments to, for everyone to hold to it. It's, Again, Paul says that, right? It's yeah. not words on etched on stone, but on tablet human hearts. That, yeah. that is so, the incarnation is not an aberration to humanity. It is the very center of our being. Jesus defines what it truly means to be human. Yeah. So he's not an aberration. He's not just some weird thing. He shows us clearly what the father intended for us from the beginning. That's what right. Paul called being conformed to the image of his son. So... I'm like you. I just, I'm more interested in life that is well-lived and human flourishing than anyone who can argue for their own propositional position. Yeah. That's a good segue because I want to ask you, I want to read for you if that's okay. 
an excerpt sure. from your book. You, I'm going to read okay. it to you, Rod. I'm going to read you an excerpt of your book. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read well, it for our, let me for just our say, listeners. Glenn, yeah. Can I, thanks for reading it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I've done interviews for different books over the years, and it's astounding to me how many interviews I do with people who've never even cracked the book open. So oh, no. it's quite a compliment. Thank you so much for reading it. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'll put the link, by the way, for our listeners in the show notes so they can go to Amazon or wherever they want to go and they can they can find it. But on page 67, this is one of my favorite parts uh, of the book because I feel like it really spoke to, I'm in this place of, I guess you can call it deconstruction, reconstruction, and I'm rethinking a lot of the things that I was handed growing up and a lot of the, the teachings that I consumed and kind of where a lot of our listeners are. They're just rethinking God and just what it means to be a, a Christian or a follower of the divine, whatever. And this section, I felt like really spoke to where I'm at and really kind of put a lot of words onto what I've been feeling. And so I want to read it uh, for our listeners. And then maybe you could just respond to it and you could riff off of it a little bit, but you say, but Jesus was out to do more than prove he is God's son. He came to earth to do more than perform signs. He came to change us, to reclaim us, to restore us, to recreate us by his word and through his word, his word becoming flesh in us, not only so that we could see glory of God among us, but that we might be the glory of God in the world. I thought, I think that's so, that's so good. And I, it just goes back to what you're just saying. I feel like that so much of that has been, has been lost. It's about being, it's about being the glory of God to the world around us, to my neighbors, to the person at the grocery store, to the person at Starbucks, to my family. And I think that that's just so good. So maybe it could take us a little bit deeper into that section about that that recreating us about that restoring us about being the glory of the glory of God. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably in the chapter where I'm talking about uh, what, it, what it means to truly incarnate the word. Yes. Yep. Um, and uh, so that we, we believe and then see the truth of God come. I mean, how many of us tell the story and the two, there's one of the characters I point out and that John's in, you know, that where that story is embodied is the man born blind. And we read the story as more than simply a story about a guy whom Jesus refused to allow the world of cause and effect to define him. He refused to do that. You know, we want to say, why is this man born blind? It's because of his sin or his parents. And Jesus goes, look, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what he can be for the glory of God. I yeah. love that yeah, because yeah. we too often, we try to read our terrain, read ourselves in terms of, cause and effect. Oh, I'm experiencing that, you know, and I'm not saying that there's no, you know, there's, there's not bad results to foolish decision. I'm not saying sure, that, sure. but when it comes to Jesus and the work of God, the redemptive work of God is to create in us who he intended us to be all along. And Jesus shows us what that looks like. So when he says, once I was blind, but now I see, mm -hmm. how many Christians have you heard say that? It's, it's like, this is not just a story about him. This feels yeah. like it's our story, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That happens over and over again. Yeah. So who Jesus is, and because of who he is, the only begotten, reveals who we're supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah. So think about that. Yeah. Think about that. Now, I, I, might, I might pick on you know, some reform brothers, sometimes it Pick feels away, like they, that's my old life. <laughs> so, so, so they so emphasize the otherness of Jesus yep. 
that yeah. they can't even grasp the importance of who they were meant to be. That's right. So they go through what I call a Romans 7 loop. They just go, well, we're horrible sinners. Uh, my daughter calls them the worm songs. I'm a horrible worm, you know, <laughs> and yay, Jesus did something for us, which is important. It's yeah. true. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I get, but then, and that's where it ends for them. Mm. Yay, I'm saved. Yeah. Yay, his blood covers multitude of sin. Yeah, but what about Monday through Saturday? <laughs> Right. Yeah. What about Monday through Saturday? I know you're going to come back and repeat that version on Sunday. And it was that that embodied faith mm -hmm. that I began to see more clearly in my own life, because the, the more God takes the, his word through his spirit and I begin to read more about Jesus and therefore read more about how Jesus made this come true. I mean, G, the blind man is a story, it's almost like a parable for us. Yeah. Just, we even sing about it. Once I was blind, now I see. It's like his story is our story. Or the Samaritan woman. Don't we all first admire her, but then we want to be like her? I mean, John does this over and over and over again. Yeah. And so you begin to think, oh my goodness, because of who Jesus is and all that he's accomplished, he's the son of God, therefore we can become children of God, John says. Right. You know, he's, he's the Lord mm -hmm. and therefore we get to, we can reign yeah. as kingdom citizens, right? Yep. God set us up to get dominion. I mean, he really defines and empowers everything we're supposed to be. So to me, that's such a key part of the Christian life. And if all you do is get stuck in the doctrine and reciting what you think is right in your head and you miss it to me, you miss what it means to be a Christian. I think right. you miss it. Yeah, I've been finding myself. I think it's, I think your point is really helpful. I think it's a really good way to read the Bible, especially the gospel is when you try to find yourself in the stories and try to find your, not just in the stories of the heroes, <laughs> but also the stories of the people that, that don't always get it right, that we tend to sometimes come down hard on um, in the church. But like lately, I've been really meditating a lot on like the story of Nicodemus. And I've been really trying to find myself. I love that. I love yeah. that as a character, as you see yeah. in the book. I love him. I think he's so misunderstood. So much. And I've been trying to find myself just in his, his story and just like imagining myself, like, you know, coming to Jesus at night, you know, and like, what does, what does that mean for me? There's so many times where it feels like night creeps in on my life. And I go, I go to Jesus, I go to Christ, you know, to talk to him and, you know, just that challenge to be born again. And I feel like I've, like I mentioned, like I've come from this world of very, very strict conservative evangelical theology and this, this black and white world and this world of you have to believe A, B, and C. That's the only way to believe. If you don't believe it that way, then, you know, there's no other way to go. And like, that's just the world I came from. And I feel like as I've gone to Jesus over these last, it's really been like four or five years now, of really kind of openly exploring my question and stuff. I feel like I feel like he said to me, like, it's time for you to be born again, to really, to really understand what it means to be a follower of, of me in the world. And so I've, I've really been trying to put myself in his shoes and in the, in the stories of all the other people too, in the, in, in the gospels and yeah. specifically John, and I think to your point, it really brings a much different life to the text when you do that. Good point, Glenn. That's, I, John's having an effect on you that I yeah. think he intended. Yeah. So that even though I'm not a Pharisee, 
uh, I, I see myself in his story as well as right. Peter and so many other characters. It's he's doing to you what he intended to do that the word becomes flesh in you. Right. Yeah. So let me just kind of throw a little something on about Nicodemus. Please, please do. It, it illustrates what we're talking about. First, mm -hmm. talk about deconstruction. Talk about deconstruction. Jesus basically says to him, you know, you need to, you need to be born. You can't see the world, right? You need to be deconstructed, if you will. So how about this? You know who I am? I'm like that serpent on a pole, <laughs> an idol, an idol that was held up, yeah. right? I'm, yeah. I'm that guy. And you, and so Nicodemus, I say in the book, when he was later, later, when the, the council's meeting and they're going, who is this guy, Jesus from Galilee? And, you know, he, he can't be the Messiah. At that point, Nicodemus just said, oh, man, you're right. This guy's dangerous. He compared himself <laughs> to an idol, but he doesn't. Yeah. The yeah. deconstructing is happening and the reconstructing is happening. So right. that right. Nicodemus never says what we want him to say. Mm -hmm. But look at his actions. When Jesus is crucified, where are the 12? Where are they? They're not there to give him a proper burial. It's mm -hmm. Nicodemus who gives him the burial of a king. Right. That's why there's so many uh, burial spices that are used. Because when kings were buried, everyone smelled it. Yeah, The whole city knew it when a king was buried. And Nicodemus, through his actions, reveals that he believes that Jesus is king. That gave me chunk right there. Yeah, my arm is standing up. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's yeah. what John does. And John winks at you and goes, did you see that? Did see you see that? There? <laughs> none of these characters measure up to everything we want. None of them are perfect. And it's really a, a scholar. I think her name is Susan Highland. She wrote a book, Imperfect Believers. And it's like, oh, she's so right. There's not a single character that measures up to all that we should be. But all of us together, all of us imperfect believers, yep. reveal what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Is that good stuff? It's so good. Oh, it's so good. I love it. John love, helped me so much. Yeah. So many ways. And I love that part about Nicodemus because like you said, it's, you know, he's the one who's stuck by, he's weaved through the whole story and he comes, he's yeah. there in the beginning. He comes back at the middle. end. He's there in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think and it's so beautiful. Like Nicodemus, I'm like you, I'm, I still puzzle over Jesus. Yep. I don't have him figured out. Do you? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I, when I read him in John's gospel, I go, what in the world is he talking about? Yeah. I, I'd be, I'm scratching my head all the time. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to be. That's right. I have a friend who I said, think as soon as we figured him out, yeah, he ceases to be who he is. That's right. I have a friend who said to me that the moment you think you have figured Jesus out, you're no longer dealing with Jesus. <laughs> I agree. You're yeah. dealing with a construct that you want him to, what if, what do you want him to be? He still offends me. Yeah. Yeah. He still yeah. challenges me. It's and so yet, good. You know, we love him. Mm -hmm. Can't live life without him. Yeah. Can I throw this in for some of you, some of your listeners who are talking about deconstructing? I hear Please. a lot of deconstruction about the church, and that's, I understand that. Mm -hmm. But it's really not about the church. For all our failures, it's really about him. Let him deconstruct you, just as he did to the Pharisees, he did to the disciples. He's con, let him. Let it be about him. Yeah. And that's what I think John's doing for us. Yeah. And that's why his gospel, I think, Glenn is so different. Where, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're doing their own thing. And Jesus is very deliberate. And he's telling them straight. And he's equally offensive and disruptive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But John comes in with this 
pastoral Jesus who, when you listen to him, you just, your heart just melts and you go, oh, I really want a guy like that in my life. Mm. I need someone like that in my life. Yeah. And I think that's why his words will challenge you and, and, and the story itself will reconstruct of the way he sees the world. And it's through John's gospel. He is so, life. Yeah, that's right. It's good. That's a, that's a good way to end. It's a good exclamation point on the, on the talk. He is, he is life. We're just about out of time, but uh, this has been a lot of fun, Rodney. I really appreciate you uh, making the time for me. And again, thank you for your book. Thank you for your work. I think it's really important. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Bless You're welcome, you, brother. You as well. And real quick, where can people go online if they want to interact with you? Maybe they can catch you. I don't know if your sermons are online, if anybody wants to listen. Yeah, to they are. It's they're, they're uh, at our website. It's uh, fbcjonesboro.org. First Baptist Church, jonesboro.org is where. Mm-hmm. And we also have a Facebook page. And um, so, yeah, you could look at those two places. I have a blog, but I'm a terrible blogger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't post very often. It's a genuinefaith.com. So, uh, but those are some of the places you might be able to catch something. Of, and I had a former student that set up a podcast, the, the Rodney Reese podcast. So there's some old sermons on there. So there's some places out there you might be able to listen. Awesome. Well, I will, I will mine through the interwebs and I'll put the links in the show notes for people. <laughs> hey, thanks, Glenn. It was a All blessing right, to talk to you, brother. Thanks so much. You too, my friend. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't buy no play by the rules I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight the shuffle getting real I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill Sometimes it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill Decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill The bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made us presence in the air It's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question But it got on my attention Uh-oh and I forgot but did I mention Looks like I won the game Made my decision I listen I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah On to something new, yeah Trying to play cool Quit with all the tools, yeah Maybe you're my calling like I'm on flight at 28 Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate Of course it's in my planning and it's also with my faith At the end of the day, and we gon' find a way It's a fact of the price that we pay Everything shine to the gray Nothing gon' break to the shade Nothing gon' break to the hate Everything all's that we claim Hit the red dot to the aim no missing, I'm focused. No slipping, I'm growing. No talking, just showing. No stopping, keep going. Yeah, I'm just trying to break codes. Ain't nobody I owe. This the life that I chose. And I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. 
Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah On to something new Trying to play it cool Quit with all the tools 